Welcome to the Whole Church Podcast, your favorite church unity podcast, probably. If you want to hear from pastors, professors, and everything in between, right, sure. And, you know, the occasional train talk. Right, right, yeah. Uh, have we got the podcast for you? Thanks for listening. Uh, this is your host, Joshua and TJ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just TJ. Yeah, co host Iberius One, what he's trying to say. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I have a speech impediment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or you say your name correctly. Where, where uh, I say my correct name. Um, yeah, so I want to encourage everybody again, please comment on the iTunes or Google Play. That helps everybody see what we're doing um, and Even people seeing it. Just give us personal feedback if you know us. If, you know, call us, text us, email us. DM us. Snapchat me. Instagram us. In, yeah, direct message me. Come to my him. apartment, shout really loudly by the windows. Usually yeah. they're up. Yeah. Um, yeah, we want your feedback, and we also want the reason we want comments on iTunes and Google Play is it allows more people to see the podcast, and the more people who see it, the more we get the word out, the more the word is out, the more we're likely to be able to bring the church together. Right. And if the church hears that we want to be united from other members of the church, and the more likely they are to come together. Yeah. We're trying to peer pressure everyone into, you know, being, being good. good. <laughs> Positive peer pressure. Yeah. So we didn't have any new comments. That we wanted to read, but uh, he did actually get a message. We're just going to read one of the messages he got right. from a friend. You yeah. can, I guess you yeah. can introduce uh, My good friend Seth uh, just checked out the podcast yesterday, and uh, he said it was great, and the conversations were really professional and kept him interested. His only complaint was the mic quality. He said it was very echoey, and sometimes he couldn't really hear what was being said. And uh, he's right. Yeah, we yeah. agree. Yeah, that is. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you, Seth. Great feedback. Yeah. Right Please now we listening. have a blue snowball mic. Um, we're trying to get that replaced with a blue Yeti. Um, that's why our first goal is to reach 21 patrons. And that is so that we have enough funds to get the new mic and kind of up the sound quality on this. Um, with that 21, though, we are doing a free giveaway for Kindle Fire 7. It's not... Yeah, you're, you're, you're gonna... it's, not, it's not free. I mean, it's sort of free. It's free to our patrons. Yeah. Because, you know, our patrons aren't paying for the giveaways. They're paying for all the other benefits, which right. we have... We do Too Long, Too, Too Long Didn't Listen series right. each week where we have a clip from guests like our guest today, Dr. Beck and Dr. Link, where they summarize... They actually summarize the podcast in four and a half seconds and then six seconds, respectively. Right. Uh, we have a new record holder, yeah. Dr. Pete Link. Yeah, we trying to get a record to see how thing. quick our guests can summarize their podcast. Just under four and a half seconds. Yes, it was amazing. Um, also, we do a daily devotional. You know, a lot of daily devotionals can cost $20, $30 if you just go buy them at the store. Um, I use a lot of resources that cost me a lot of money and feed that into the devotional. And I just want to offer that as a resource to our patrons who are already, you know, so supportive of us. We have some great people. Your mom, for one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I just wanted to say your mom. Of course. Yeah. Also, Russell, we love you. Um, <laughs> but no, we have some really great people who are supporting us, and we give them that as well as to do our reflection of the week for them, where we just talk about different movies we've seen, um, things that we've reflected on the podcast mm-hmm. or devotion, and just things that happen in general. Yeah, my engagement. Talk about that some. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I'm engaged. Stop. Okay. Uh, anyway, this is a fantastic podcast. Uh, be warned, though, doc, we recorded in Dr. Beck's office. His phone rings a couple times. And uh, also be warned that they're just really smart. Yeah. Um, if you aren't ready to be very, very uh, educated. Yeah, educated. It's not really If you aren't ready to learn a lot, then you should, you should get ready. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it, they're fantastic. I actually I was describing it to Tiberius earlier. 
it was a lot like leaving the podcast felt like leaving a really good movie where you're just still kind of like on the high of how good the movie was. Being a part of it was just fantastic. I'm really excited about it. Hope you guys enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed being a part of it. Right. So yeah, here it is. All right. Uh, so welcome to the whole trick yeah, podcast. Welcome to the whole trick podcast. And uh, we're here with doctors Peter and Pete. Yeah. Uh, Beck and Link, respectively. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, two of my old Charleston Southern right. professors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, two people so. that I met today. <laughs> Man, so it's a deep bond. Yeah, it is. Yeah. We go way back yeah. to <laughs> that room. Yeah, across the hall. Or right, down the same hall. side of the hall. Yeah, down the hall. Yeah. One so, office over. So, but uh, up then with our uh, kind of goofy question, just break the ice and um. Oh, will uh, will Doctor Zelda be joining us today? Oh yeah, yeah. is that we have Doctor Link? Is there yeah. Doctor uh, Zelda? Or? Uh, not not to my knowledge. Oh, okay. Interesting. All right. Clearly, that's not my wheelhouse. Yeah, that's not my wheelhouse either. <laughs> oh, so, uh, yeah. So our first question is going to then be, uh, what is your least favorite plant? Animal. We could, animal? Yeah, yeah animal. you're right. Yeah, you were least talking about plants. And, animal. Yeah, that distracted me. Yeah, least favorite animal. We'll let, we'll let you start with that. Me? Yeah, yeah. I'll start? All right. I think my least favorite animal is a fusa, which is a, uh, a predator native to Madagascar. I'm a biology major. Animals are my specialty. I've been thinking about this for a day. Literally like 24 hours. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think uh, animals are always just so unique. The only reason I could come up with having a least favorite is because Fusa's main source of, you know, energy, their main food source is lemurs and tenrics. And I really like lemurs and tenrics. Mm. So I think I just dislike Fusa's just because they kill some of the animals that I really like. I just hear the Lion King in the background as you answer that. That's yeah. Right. <laughs> so it's the same Alex the Lion versus Fusa. Ah, that's what Did you Madagascar. Oh, Madagascar. It, that's a good representation. Has anyone ever heard that uh, the beauty of Lion King, if you just say pink pajamas, penguins on the bottom, you sound exactly like the people doing the chant? Yeah. Pink pajamas, penguins on yeah, the bottom. But that actually says, Inguinyama, uh, Inguinambala. Yeah. yeah, no, pink pajamas, penguins on the bottom. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so, so Josh, mine depends on if bugs count or not. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So bugs, bugs in, count as animal. I mean, they're in the animal, animal kingdom. kingdom. If bugs count, then it's going to be inchworms. I really hate inchworms. Because they, like, get all over <laughs> everything I own. They're in all my clothes. They're in my laundry. They're in my clean clothes and my dirty clothes. They're silk literally always in my hair. I like to hike a lot, so I'm, like, outside a lot. Yeah. Inchworms really bother that me. That sounded like you just live outside. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. And then, um, <laughs> well, then me and my brother get so annoyed by them. We have taken to, whenever someone does something irritating, if it's me and him around, we call them an inchworm. Because that's how irritating inchworms are. Hmm. But if inchworms don't count, we talked about this too. Yeah, so, we did. You know, my, my backup was going to be pelicans. Yeah, we cheated. We got to yeah, yeah, think yes, about yes. this. Because uh, pelicans just kind of hackle the beach. Like, I'm just trying to enjoy a nice, peach, peaceful, you know, time laying on the beach. And then uh, they just come up like, no, can't, can't do that. And it's also irritating. Right. Yeah. So, uh, Dr. Beck, what, uh, what's your least favorite animal? Uh, for the moment, since At you gave moment. me not 24 hours to think about it. <laughs> right, exactly. I'll just randomly say the possum. The possum? Why is that? They're ugly. Ah, you they can... serve no obvious role in the food chain except for roadkill for the vultures who live here in the low country. Right. They have the Napoleon complex. You know, they think they're bigger and badder than they really are. Right. They stand their ground. And the good news is cars squash them. So, you know, it's kind of a catch-22 for a possum. Yeah. Pick they a don't live a good life. No. 
So, kind of just a generally worthless animal, it would seem to be. Sounds like he really dislikes possums. <laughs> I think you might have actually thought about this <laughs> 24 hours ago. <laughs> well, since all the good options are taking, I, I don't really have a, an option other than, say, the cockroach. The cockroach? Ooh, mm, yeah, that's good. so... Yeah. Um, or what do we call... We, we don't call them cockroaches in South Carolina because that would destroy tourism. What do we call them? Palmetto, uh, palmetto bugs. Palmetto, palmetto bugs. Because they're cockroaches on steroids. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> they're four inches long <laughs> and so, they get in your laundry room. So truth in advertising is not true. Right. There you go. Yeah. You just, if you word something well enough, anything can sound good. Exactly. Mm. Uh, you come see, come to the Palmetto State, see the indigenous Palmetto bug. Versus come to you know the Low Country where you see all the dangerous animals of North you know, North America in hey, one place. How y'all doing? <laughs> we have uh, four inch cockroaches. Come on in. Fun <laughs> <laughs> oh, stuff. So yeah, I know you both get from being a student here. Um, mm-hmm. I was a really awful student, so sorry. <laughs> we got a lot of projects that probably still aren't turned in, and I don't have them on me. If you were wondering, um, actually, I think I only had Beck for I think you had one summer class with you, systematic theology. Yeah. In which I turned a you had an assignment where you had to write theology about time and God, and for some reason I turned that into let me talk about Doctor Who because that's a really good TV show, and I, I remember you quoting the wibbly-wobbly timey-wimey, because I was like, ah, wonder if they'll fail me for this. And I, I, You didn't fail me, so that's a plus. I would have. Well, sometimes <laughs> with certain students, it's just move them on and let somebody else deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's honest. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, fun stuff. But, uh, yeah, I do know y'all well enough to know you're smart, and uh, the good thing about a podcast is I don't have to be smart. I just have to have smart people right. to ask questions to. We've discovered the formula. It's just... Find the smartest people we know. <laughs> we'll ask them really easy questions for us to come up with. Yeah, vague questions and see how smart they can be. Exactly. <laughs> Occasionally challenge them to see what see what they do. So when we run out of smart people, we run out of content. But yeah, we it doesn't rely on us at all. <laughs> there you go. Oh man. So we guys, that uh, we think are just wellsprings of knowledge, which. Mm. It's good bucket questions. First, both theology and Old Testament both kind of have things people just don't. There's a lot mm-hmm. of people in general like to kind of act like we don't need it. Like we just need the New Testament. Where's grace? The old law doesn't really matter anymore. And it seems like without saying it, they're like, yeah, we'll just completely ignore this like majority of the Bible. Why do people do that? And can you talk about some of the dangers? Of- uh, so I think there's a discipleship issue, but there's also just the fact that it's hard. Um, if you have most people, you have a choice between taking an interstate to get to Los Angeles uh, versus back roads. You're going to take the interstate. The Old Testament is not an interstate. Uh, <laughs> it is it is something you have to spend time with, and the, the, the proper mode you have to have on it is to meditate upon the Torah day and night. In fact, in my view, I, I always argue that Moses uh, and the prophets wrote to us, even. When you pick it up, you are the audience. You don't have to say, well, this is a book written to somebody else. They anticipated later readers. And number two, that they wrote to us about Jesus, which is why Jesus says, Moses wrote about me. Now, Christians can disagree on the details of that. Most people would say Moses had no earthly idea that he was writing, but I would say that there's evidence within the Pentateuch itself that he did. So uh, I think that's why people struggle with it. Uh, I think the real key is the Bible. Uh, and when I got saved, I just started reading the Bible, and I ironically refused to read the Old Testament at first because I, I knew I wouldn't <laughs> understand it, and I just forced myself through the New Testament a few times and, 
And then I said, all right, I'm going to do it. And mm-hmm. I read the Old Testament, and I literally understood none of it. It's like read, learning uh, to drive. Yeah. Like, and I, so, I guess I can start here in this parking lot. Right. And then we'll drive up a mountain. Yeah, something like <laughs> that. And so, but I, I forced through, and I just kept asking questions. And I put myself in a context where I forced myself to keep reading, to keep thinking, but also to keep living out within the local church. Um, one of the reasons that I think we have this issue is that local churches have gotten away from being a term that we ask our our mission uh, missionaries to, to develop in the churches they plant, which is self-theologizing. And that is, uh, there is not an attempt within the model most of us use today to actually build up theologians within the church. Because why would that be? It takes a lot of Bible, a lot of theology, a lot of church history, a lot of thinking, a lot of time, and a lot of living it out once you've wrestled with it and doing it within community. When you disconnect yourself from the Old Testament, uh, it seems like you're going to accomplish those goals easier, but in, in the end, you're going to make it harder because you're, the conversation that starts within the beginning of Bereshit is something that all uh, of the Bible interacts with. Man. Wow. Ironically, we thought about making that first opening goofy question just to, hey, what's your favorite out of context Bible verse? <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, and the lows come from the Old Testament. Right? Yeah, yeah. We, were, well, we were on the way down here, and we were thinking of a way to reinvent our podcast intro. Because, you know, he, he's the only person on the old one, and it's boring, and, you know, uh, you know. Also, just, just sound <laughs> bad. So, I was just thinking of, you know, things to say, and I was like, uh, a house divided shall not stand, you know, church unity. So, he looked that up, because mm-hmm. I know, it, you know, most people know it as an Abraham Lincoln quote that was in the Bible. And the verse like, is about... Why Jesus yeah. isn't a demon, basically? Yeah, it's... Yeah. Uh, Someone accused Jesus. Well, Jesus had just cast out a demon. They're like, oh yeah, you, you must be on their side. <laughs> uh, I can't remember who it was, but they accused him of being a demon because only a demon could cast out a demon. And he says, a, a, house, divided, yeah, a house divided cannot stand. Why would a demon cast out a demon? It's like, you know, they're winning. Why, why would they do that? <laughs> like, yeah, we, that, that doesn't seem <laughs> like it's called church unity, so we, we decided to leave that out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, but uh, I will say, just back to what you're talking about, I mean, it does seem easier, right? Like, a lot of, when I think about church unity, a lot of church divides, you know, are like, oh, what about tattoos and piercings? What about, you know, this law or that law? And then people just pick stuff out. Well, yeah, yeah, it would be easier if we could just not have those, right? We just all get along. So, and this is this is where uh, church history is the essential uh, tool. We are not the first generation to wrestle with what to do with tattoos. And most of us just give cultural answers. Like, the culture I was raised in, um, so the, the city that I, uh, graduated from high school in when I'm in ninth grade, it is per capita, the wealthiest city in America. Wow. Okay. It wasn't, there's was a, there's a bus that came later. Don't worry. It didn't last. Uh, but, <laughs> but it was actually per capita wealthier than Beverly Hills at the time, which is hard to fathom. Um, no one was doing tattoos in my high school as a result. That's just, that's, that was that yeah. culture, right? So that's always my reflex answer is that that's that's my that's not how you have to answer that question because people have wrestled with this, and I think even the scriptures, the New Testament, deal with it. Um, others, I'm in the culture that I'm in now. Everyone has a tattoo. I'm the only adult that a tattoo in most right. places I go to. So um, those kind of uh, 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 cultural questions tend to cover how we try to answer. Uh, things that need to be driven more by Bible theology and church history. Because right, the way I answer that question is just, it's, I think about how people see tattoos, like generations see tattoos so differently. 
Mm-hmm. Like to my gen, I'm 19. To my generation, a tattoo is just like a permanent, a semi-permanent accessory because they're not even permanent anymore. You can get them removed, and it's it's <laughs> at a great price. Not a great price, yeah. It's for emergencies only, but I have a friend who's a tattoo artist, professional, world famous. Really, he makes more money removing tattoos yeah, than he does putting them on because you can charge a lot more. Yeah, because people make those mistakes and come yeah. back later and fix them. So uh, I don't have any, but uh, pretty much everyone I graduated with already does, right. and it's just no one really gives it a second thought. It's like, oh, that's cool. The funny thing yeah. is, that even that's generational. I mean, you mentioned generations. Yeah. I like see more people our age with tattoos now than I see with people your all's age. Your all's age that's grabbed true. onto them 10 years ago. I've got it. Now the only ones I see in your age are either amongst the athletes of certain demographics or amongst the Christian kids with Bible verses right. tattooed. Yeah, I got um, Anazal on this chest and, or Anazal. And then, um, what's the one on this one? Yeah, he's got a, yeah, he's got a few. I got, I got all those I, I, Bible words. I attended a Christian college, <laughs> North Greenville University. If I had a dollar for every person I saw with a Hebrew tattoo, I'd, I'd go. <laughs> I saw somebody anyway. last night post a picture of his new tattoo of the first declension in Greek. Oase amanete usen. Yeah. And I'm going, how do you not cheat during exams that way? It's <laughs> 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 a genius plan. Or are you that lame that you can't even remember the first declension? Just get the answer key on your arm tattooed. And then, like, what are you going to, like, you can't yeah. maybe get rid of that. Short-term gain, choice. long-term loss. It's yeah. hard to, but, uh... <laughs> But so not, yeah, go ahead. It's, it's, it's our generation rebelling because in our generation you weren't allowed to do that. Right. Only bikers and certain military. You know, I was in the right. army. Sailors, our unit, you could not have yeah. it. I mean, things I was involved with. If you had identifiable scars, you might be disqualified. Really. And so now our generation is going. Look, it's finally acceptable. South Carolina. I don't give you the exact year, but let's say twenty years ago, you could not get a tattoo in South Carolina. Wow. It was still against the law in the state. Wow. Until within recent history. And I did not know that. Yeah. So think of all the military bases that line the state. Yeah. And, <laughs> and now so they have I have to go to Georgia or North Carolina for tattoos. And I know just tons of Marines. I don't know a single Marine without a tattoo. Yeah. yeah. It's, but it's a, the point is it's a cultural thing. Yeah. It's, they're, they're all like, hey, bro, when are you going to get your USMC yeah. tattoo? So the question is, how does that relate to the laws that don't talk about marking and so forth? And so the question is, you don't want to tackle that isolated from the rest of church history, from the rest of theology, and from the rest of what the Pentateuch is doing, the Pentateuch being Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, it's actually one book. What is it doing with the laws? So I ask people a much tougher question. I say, are you sure that Moses is telling you that the law codes will fix the heart problem? Because I think he's doing just the opposite. The laws are good, but what are they good for? They're good to show you how far you are from God. And that's why, and most people don't read those last seven chapters, last eight chapters of Deuteronomy, and they will show you that the end of the Mosaic Covenant is exile and death. As, as if Israel's exile, because she cannot keep the laws, she can't keep herself safe near God, shows that she's just like the rest of humanity. So Israel being sent away teaches us about Adam being sent away, our state. And what is our hope? It's the guy who's coming. So what you get with those law codes about all these different areas is we're watching God the Father, be a good father to big brother Israel. Not because we're under the same laws, but because he wants us to know his heart and our heart by looking at the interaction between the two and, and to learn the lesson that the book teaches. So that's not a direct answer. So when students, because like I'm a you know, Old Testament professor, every every semester I've been, no, every year I've been, or not every semester, 
because I'm an Old Testament professor, I have students who want me to proofread the Hebrew they're going to get tattooed on them. <laughs> and my answer to them is always, I'm not going to tell you you can't do it. I am going to suggest that you wait, because once you do it, it's really difficult to go back. And, uh, you know, uh, so there's so there's some wisdom there. And, and it goes to the heart question that Moses, the prophet, and the apostles say is, who are you worshiping when you do this? And that is a much harder question, and I think there's great consistency yeah. across the scriptures. That motivation, but not merely motivation, what is who is actually being worshipped in this? That that's the hard question that that I think helps you think about the laws and to step back and say, Will I be confused with the nations? Will I be confused with those who don't love Jesus? Or will I be cutting myself off from them if I don't or if I do? And so we want one absolute question. Tattoos are good or bad. And Moses says, you're, you're not asking the right question. Yeah. So um, just as a disclaimer, because I know some of the people who listen to this are actually against tattoos. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, church unity, that's, the whole church, there's a lot of different people and a lot right. of older people. Though. So my tattoo here with the Greek word for new life is actually because I got a whole bunch of scars on my arm. And I was just covering that up. Right. Not that I need an excuse, but... That, that is why that happened. On this side is because I'm OCD and then it wasn't even. So. <laughs> I don't need an excuse, but I have one. Yeah, yeah, I don't need one, but here it is. Yeah. 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 So, uh, Dr. Beck, we were going to ask if uh, why you, like, some people think theology is detrimental to the church as a whole, like, com- like coming together. Yeah. Like, a lot of times it's like just arguing for argument's sake. Like, a lot of people see it as. You know, the generic, how many angels fit on the tip of a pen kind of stuff. Like, oh, they're just arguing for the sake of arguing. What's, uh, is theology like a necessary evil when it comes to church unity? Or is it capable of helping us become more united? It's the only thing that ultimately can unite us. It's our identity in Christ. So as soon as I say identity, I've got to do theology. As soon as I say Christ, I have to do theology. And so apart from it, we'll never have unity. Right. Now, the, the question becomes, where are we getting our theology? If they're not reading the Old Testament, it's only because they're not really reading the New Testament either. You know, they want to read the Reader's Digest version, so they start in the New right. and skip, you know, the background material. Yeah, but read, read the cliff notes. Go yeah. back, read the rest well, of the story. version is that, like, they, like, uh, from our founding fathers of America, like, cut... Oh, Thomas Jefferson yeah, took out yeah. everything he didn't like. Yeah. But that's been going that, on that's, for... That's the good one, right? Yeah, that's been going on since the third century. People doing that, taking out what they don't like or disagree with. H- history is written by the victor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And unfortunately, that sometimes makes it hard to figure out what really went on. Exactly. But flip side is, for church history's sake at least, generally speaking, that has worked out to our long-run good. Right. Now, sometimes you got to wade through all the other stuff to go... How did they last so long in this position? <laughs> but, you know, life does tend to come around. Christ did promise the gates of hell won't prevail. It's not a guarantee your church won't die. I mean, I've presided over a death of a church. It's a guarantee that the work of the church will never be stopped until the second coming, in which case then it will be a, you know, a victorious completion of the work. But, yeah, theology is what holds us together. You know, Billy Graham's daughter 20 years ago mm-hmm. or so, wrote a book called Don't Give Me Theology, Just Give Me Jesus. To her credit, what she's trying to deal with is the very thing you're asking. Have we used theology to be divisive? Can we not find a way to unite around other things? Yeah. I think there's a flaw even in that premise. But the reality is a lot of the folks that you all know, some probably who even listen to your podcast, actually agree with her what they think she means, which is we don't need theology at all. 
But, you know, we can't talk church without theology. We can't talk, um, you know, your old generation likes I'm a Christ follower rather than I'm a Christian. Right. You know how many times I've heard I'm building a relationship with Christ. Yeah, it's not a religion. Yeah. Yeah. All that's smokescreen. That's all, you know, trying to contemporize, make it relevant. You know, that's the thing or real. But as soon as I say I'm a Christ follower, you have to do theology. Right. Because the Muslim probably has a higher view of Jesus than a lot of Americans do. You know, the Mormon has a very distinct view of Jesus. You know, the Jehovah's Witness, the pass them every morning out here along the main street in front of the university. They're out there passing out literature. They believe in Jesus. If we're going to have a church that is the body of Christ, we need to know who he is. But it's even more fundamental than that. I take people and give them a basic Greek lesson. Yeah. You know, the word theology, two great Greek words slammed together. Here's your new tattoo. Okay. Theos <laughs> and Logos. Perfect. It's Theos is God. This is where we get theology, right. theism, whatever. Logos, we know from John 1, right? In the beginning was the word. But it literally means a word. So theology is a word, a study, like biology, your major. Of course. It's a study of God. And so literally to do theology is to do nothing more than talk about God. And of course, the biblical picture is we talk about God, that we might know God, that we might worship God. That's right. And so theology should, and properly applied, must end in doxology, worship. And so the unity that we all claim we want has to be grounded on certain truths that we all hold, to borrow American language, inalienable. These are truth, period. Yeah. Now, are there ones we disagree on? Sure, and I'm sure you want to dig a little deeper yeah, there in a minute. But there, there are a certain core set of beliefs that have been passed down for two millennia now that all Christians have more or less agreed upon, and anything outside of those core things have been outside the pale of orthodoxy, heresy, non-Christian, whatever you want to call it. Right. So there's got to be at least a minimum. And what we ought to be doing is theology to achieve the maximum. What else can we agree on? Okay, now our circle's gotten bigger. Wait a minute, we can't agree on this. We do have a fence around our circle. Because you're here, I'm here. That's why you're a Presbyterian. That's why I'm a Baptist or whatever. But there has to be a core or there is no unity. Yeah. You know, Jesus said, Lord, in a prayer... In the upper room, Lord, make them one as we're one. Paul writes, you know, be renewed by the transforming of your mind. You know, he writes to the Philippians, my prayer for you is that you'll be one in these things. Theology was what unites us. I mean, otherwise, how can we be united if we have 17 different Jesuses that we follow? So we have to do theology. <laughs> right, man. Amen. So that's, this is not a question I planned on asking, but it's what I'm going to ask. So, um... I think what I find with that, what's what's interesting, is like um, me and my brother, yeah, very individual people. He has you know, recently he's gotten connected with the Reformed Baptist Church and radically changed up who he was because he was kind of just going to our church but wasn't really mm-hmm. saved. And he, he talked about on the podcast, so all this to say, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not exposed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, uh-huh. he's exposed himself. <laughs> but uh, now I thought we were talking about it. He would say he is a five point Calvinist, which you know, but I don't want to get into all of what, what that is, but it's basically five tenets of different theology. And we were going over them, and I was like, I think I agree with two. And it was just really interesting, because, <laughs> like, we have no divide. You know, it's like me and my brother, one-on-one, and we talk about faith. We agree on everything we actually talk about, because it's very seldom that we get in, like, that deep into, like, you know, you don't casually, like, hey, man, uh, what, what do you feel about, you know, like, you don't drop, like, just... 
Oh. Dude, man, I was thinking the other day about baby baptism. <laughs> yeah, like, you just don't, you know, that doesn't come up in casual conversation. And it was something I was said in the first episode of the podcast with my pastor. He's like, yeah, the more people are like Jesus, the more you become like Jesus, the more you become united. And I find that true a lot one-on-one, but then I'm thinking, like, we go to a Pentecostal church. I don't ever see our church and the Reformed Baptist church randomly uniting and becoming one big church, you know, but I'm like, the individual people, I can see it's just right. for some reason like the collective group. Is there right. more reason behind that? Um, Al Moeller, the president of Southern Seminary, 15 years ago, maybe a little longer, wrote an article that would have been the equivalent of a blog before blogs really yeah. took off. But it outlined what he called theological triage. You know, triage is where you go to a hospital or when I was a medic in the Army. Right. You evaluate wounds and figure out who needs the most help right, right yeah. now. So Prior theological right. triage says we look at all theological doctrines. It's important. They're all biblical, so they're important. But which ones are more central? You know, which ones are more vital? And so he came up with a taxonomy of three. You know, here are things we should agree on. Here are things that we might. And here's things we can agree to disagree. I've kind of tweaked it, you know, like we all do. We kind of put it in our words. I kind of break it down to what I call three tiers. And tier one doctrines are those doctrines that are core to Christian faith. Right. Get them right, go to heaven. Get them hell, get them wrong, get hell. And yeah. so you're either in or you're out. You're either orthodox or you're heterodox or a heretic. All Christians should agree on that. So as a Southern Baptist, I would assume your church and I would agree on all the key things that God is the only true God, the only wise God, as Paul says, that Christ is fully God and fully man, came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross as a substitution for our death was resurrected three days later, necessity of faith, and so forth. Those things hold Lutherans, Pentecostals, Baptists, who are biblical, together. The second tier, the second circle, if you will, of doctrines are those ones that the Bible's less clear on, but they're also less central to salvation. For example, I assume in your, if you're, since you said Pentecostal and not charismatic, your church practices some of the spiritual gifts, or at least assumes they yeah. continue for today. Yeah. Others don't. Now, does that mean you're going to heaven because yes, and they're going to hell because no? Now, are there friend groups who say yes and no? Um, yeah, but for the most part, we go, no, that's why I go to this church instead of that church. And so we divide into denominations on these secondary level issues. They're important because we think the church is right. the body of Christ on earth, so we want to do as much as we can to be like that. But they're vague enough. Elders versus deacons versus one elder versus plurality. All those things have been debated for 2,000 years for a reason. Yeah. Because the Bible is not concrete. This is the only... Yeah. Wouldn't that have been nice? That would have been helpful. But think about how, <laughs> uh, uh. how specific that would have been to a particular culture that may not apply anymore, you know, 2,000 right. years later. And then the third tier issues are the issues you're talking about with your brother. The ones that you can go to the same church even. Yeah. You can sit next to each other. You can pick on each other. Oh, you're one of those. <laughs> but in the end, you can agree to disagree, as John Wesley once wrote to his friend, George Whitfield. Wesley was not a Calvinist. Whitfield was. <laughs> they talked strongly about it frequently. <laughs> but in the end, they said, you know what? Well, we just have to agree to disagree on this and let it go. And so those so tier three issues that we can go, you know what? I disagree with you, but we still love each other enough to worship together, minister together. But in your brother's case, since he's on the record, 
You know, he, <laughs> he's a member of a Reformed Baptist church because the Calvinism what divides him from you is his yeah. view of ecclesiology and his view of baptism and what happens here. You think this is more important here, so you go to this church that does this. He thinks this is more important, so he's found a church that does that. The problem is a lot of our people in our churches don't know what they believe. And so they're in the church, then they're Baptist, and you ask, why am I Baptist? Well, I've always been. Well, no, that's not that's Baptist at all. <laughs> We've never practiced that in the Baptist world. And so yeah. the problem is we don't know what we believe, so instead we unite around what Ed Stetzer calls tribalism. Right. My tribe worships this way. My tribe dresses that way. Our tribe does this. And very rarely is it actually theological. Yeah. You get to a theological answer to why your tribe does it, but not necessarily the answer itself. I think that's the thing that you mentioned earlier, David Platt's Follow Me. In his book, he has a lot of strong words about he doesn't believe in the praying of the sinner's prayer. It's not that he doesn't believe in salvation. He just said, I look in the Bible, I see repent, I see believe, I see baptize. I never see say this prayer. And yeah, well, Frank Viola a couple of times, and that's yeah, something he is adamantly not for too. Yeah, and so Platt caught major grief from his own tribe. Southern Baptists pink piled on him over that issue. Wow. Because for many of them, that was the distinguishing mark of being a Baptist. Was I said this prayer? I walked the aisle. Oh. I shook the pastor's hand. I got baptized the next Sunday. And Platt's going no. Let's ask what Scripture says. If it supports our tradition, let's keep doing our tradition. If it doesn't support our tradition, let's unite around what the Bible does say. Right. And that's so a, we're really more about tribes these days than we are about theology. That's something. But that's not new, though. Right? Ours, no. Yeah. Our denomination has problems with sometimes is uh, uh, speaking in tongues. Yeah, yeah. I, I make jokes about First Corinthians fourteen way more than they're comfortable with me doing. <laughs> but uh, uh, speaking in tongues is a spiritual gift that has to have an interpreter. And what we see a lot of times that doesn't happen. Lack of an interpreter. And that's unbiblical. Yeah. But that's your tribe that you're yeah, hanging out with or our tribe. you know, it's the Church of God Anderson versus the Church of God Cleveland, Tennessee versus the Church of God in Christ out of Memphis or you know, again, so we've taken these lower level issues, important, right, but not as important as these, and we've put them and we've said, "Oh, wait a minute." Top. And so, yeah, and what often happens in our churches is we don't fight about tier one, yeah. central issues. We fight about typically tier three in my church. I'm a pastor. We get all upset about things. You're going, you're mad because we took down the wall that separates the pulpit part of the stage from the choir part of the stage. I can't believe you've done that. Yeah. yeah. Have you repented that yet? <laughs> Not yet. Oh, huh. In fact, I'm waiting. <laughs> <laughs> next oh, Lent, I want to you know, give oh, off yeah, my idea of taking Lent. down the wall. Yeah. But... You know, we fight over tier three issues. You know, we fight over questions of, you know, should a woman be a pastor or not? That, I don't know about you all. Dr. Lincoln and I have a very distinct idea about that, that we would argue biblically. I wouldn't go to a church based on that decision. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, I can't go to your church. Sorry. But it's, those aren't the things we typically fight over. We're fighting over things that we ought to go, you know what? There's a reason why we've been debating this issue for 50 years. Or a thousand years. But our tribes, all of a sudden in your case, well, this is what we do in our church. And how dare you, because you're young yeah. and you're theologically inclined, you know, your little theologues, as I called them when I was in seminary. <laughs> you want to ask, well, why do we do that? Well, you know, First Corinthians 14 actually might be mocking people 
for doing what we're doing. Yeah, Paul says they're childish and I'm like, that's funny. <laughs> and, but instead, your church goes, well, this is what we've always done. Because they've not read the Old Testament. There's a good chance, you know, go back to the original question, why aren't they reading the Old Testament? Let's be honest. They're not reading the New Testament either. Mm-hmm. And so, Challenge. you know, our unity is theology around Christ, but where's Christ been, you know, most completely and fully revealed? In his word? In his word. Hebrews chapter 1. So, is the reason the church appears so divided from the outside because of these tier two, three issues, or is it just because of tribalism? Or is it like a mix? Yes. Yes, okay. That's good answer. Good answer. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, no, I mean, the appearance of division is true. I mean, the Catholics warned of this at the Reformation. You all go this route, you're going to splinter into a thousand little fractions, or factions. And it did. Yeah, so the Catholics are right, and we all just need to go to the Pope and do our confessions. Yeah, because that yep, worked out so it. well <laughs> in the first place. But they were right in the sense that once you put the people in the Bible, you open Pandora's box potentially for everybody reading it their own way. They were right. Now, of course, they were warning us of that because if you read the Bible, no longer does the pontiff tell you what it means. And now you're independent-minded. Right. You know, and so but even within the Catholic tradition, you see in history where they, where they went ahead and opened that door later on. You need to read the Bible, and then, you know, by 1960 in the Vatican II Council, you know, they're redefining grace at the Council. They're redefining who is our brothers. Those who used to be anathema are now our weaker brothers. And so, you know, yeah, you put people in the Bible, strange things could happen. Gets back to Dr. Link's earlier answer. That's why it's so vital we actually disciple our people, not to force our singular beliefs on them, but teach them, A, how I got to what I believe, teach them how they can get to what they need to believe, and walk them through Scripture, which is why they're not reading the Bible. You know, what is the Great Commission? It's not in the Baptist world, get them dunked, right? <laughs> get them to walk the aisle, get them wet, and get on to the next one. Well, get it's, them all the way down. And, then, <laughs> and then the final part of it, it's the part we all miss, is teaching them, oh, discipleship, which, gee, he said make disciples, huh? Go figure that connection. Teaching them, to observe all that I've commanded you. And so we're not discipling the next generation because the generation before us failed to disciple us. And so it's all a- the excitement and hullabaloo out of the awakenings, first second great awakenings, or all the way back to the Reformation about getting the Bible, find out for yourself, individual, you know, personal own faith has gone by the wayside. Now it's the faith of my mom, it's the faith of my tribe, it's the faith of my denomination. And all of a sudden when somebody challenges you, yeah, what about, not only is it no longer, well, you know, I've never thought about that, is now I don't have an answer for that. So what's your answer? Oh, okay, well, let's do that. <laughs> and so now we have a new form of unity. It's unity around whiteness. It's unity around you know, American exceptionalism. It's a unity around whatever. Right. right. And it's, so, like a, uh, it's like the church, if we were on a Venn diagram, the middle, every denomination hits the middle circle, because, you know, that's how it works. But no one's looking at it. No one cares about the middle circle. Everyone's looking around it to huh. see what doesn't overlap. Man. And uh, can I just say that I thought, uh, going into this, I thought ecclesiology would be the best word used today, but uh, anathemas is definitely... <laughs> <laughs> and it's in the Bible. It is. Paul pronounced anathema on the Galatians. That's true. And so if it means let them be accursed, think about what Paul's calling for for those who wrongly understood the Old Testament. 
in its wow. application in the modern church. Yeah, so there's, in this striving for unity and diversity, one of the things that I see becoming an obstacle, though, is the disconnect between orthodoxy and orthopraxy. So one of the reasons why we become comfortable with our tribe and the way it's been handed to us is because we've disconnected um, those ideas from actual lived out faith. And so uh, I always tell folks, when you, you cannot have uh, orthopraxy without orthodoxy, but you haven't really believed orthodoxy till it begins to shape who and what you are. And what that does is it lets us focus on the main things. And so uh, just to steal something from uh, one of my mentors, uh, Steve McKinnon, the Christian life is to receive the faith, to maintain the faith, and to pass on the faith. But the irony is if you're not passing on the faith, what you think you're maintaining will eventually slowly begin to shape into a different kind of faith over time, over generations. This is the problem of idolatry. So think about the great warnings that come up uh, in the New Testament. See, I'll even go to the New Testament. Oh, wow. uh, anyway, it's, whew, <laughs> God, it's amazing. It's easy to remember. Yeah. <laughs> but what's in Mark 13, Matthew 24 and 25, people argue about all the wrong things, but the primary warning he gives is don't be led away by idolatry. And that is the human condition to try to shape God into our image. And orthodoxy, trying to be lived out in orthopraxy, creates a community that is going to be flawed. And what this comes to, I think, Peter, and we'll get your idea since you're a theologian, this is we, we, have, we expect everybody else and ourselves to be somewhere closer to glorification, but we're stuck in this sanctification, right? And so why, aren't, why don't people get along? Why, does it, why is there so much conflict? Well, that's the nature of sanctification. Um, the only hero in the story is God. Um, and, and this, to me, is the great gift of God's patience, not only in the slow death uh, that, that shows up in Genesis 3. On the day you eat from it, you'll die, you live 900 years. Why? Because God is trying to create life in dead places, but also... A salvation. He's patient in that. And in our sanctification, what he does is he, he gives us an opportunity to become, uh, to be able to, to reveal himself, to reveal that he's the hero by what? Walking in what we say and what we do according to the gospel which we received and hopefully we're maintaining and hopefully we're passing on. So real unity emerges, whether you're reading 1 Corinthians or whether you're reading the Torah, emerges from rightly talking about God and living about God and God's heart for those things to be lived out is embedded in the fact that you cannot deceive him. And he knows that when you say one thing and do another, uh, he knows that. And that's idolatry in the end. And, and he, is, he is working to create life in that dead part of our hearts by repentance and in repentance and trust in Christ even more. So looking to wrap it up, but I still got just a couple questions. Just hopefully we can... Quickly run he's, he's playing the same. Hope you guys give shorter answers. Yes, that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Wrong yeah. guys for that. <laughs> well, I did because you know we're talking about idolatry and tribalism, and my immediate first thought is: is tribalism idolatry? Is are there a lot of people? Well, yeah, by the way, you define it. It is. Oh, this is going to be an. Hour but long. but another person's tribalism. <laughs> <laughs> so, so by the way, you define it. It most certainly is. I mean, if you, if if the first way you relate to the to God and the creation is being your tribe, your tribe is your God, and so, that's a problem. But the fact that we have tribes yeah. is not necessarily 
uh, idolatrous. In fact, I don't think human culture can exist except for, hey, we like this. Let's do this together. That that is just kind of how things happen. The right. difference been a is a long time talking about Avengers before this. Yeah. So that's right. Well, so the question is then how do you um, how do you bring life? How does the church in particular bring life into the fact that there are tribes? So the church must be a place that creates a culture that pushes beyond culture to other cultures, yeah. and that doesn't mean culture is bad. The limits embedded in what you do, you're going to make choices as a church. You're going to make decisions. That's going to create a culture. But part of the Christian mission, because of the Great Commission, is to make sure that we are always reevaluating our interaction with those beyond our culture. And that allows us to be salt and light. That allows us to engage others. And one of the ways we do that, this is why it's unity in the midst of diversity. And so uh, there's a church nearby here that, that I got to preach at uh, once and uh, talked to them uh, a long time, and it's a church that's dying. Mm-hmm. It's in a neighborhood that was uh, mostly white, middle class. Now it's not. And the church is dying, and across the street from it is a Pentecostal church. It's booming. Now, it wasn't about doctrine. It was about disconnecting their life as a church from living out that doctrine. They st- they were comfortable with their culture, the way they were, the boundaries, their tribe. And those other people in other tribes, and, and they didn't mean harm. They wanted good for them, but they weren't, right? But they yeah, didn't right. want to live out that. They didn't want to go bring life to those folks, and they stopped loving others. Mm. How can you say you love God when you won't love the guy in the mobile home right across the street? Right. And so this is why I think, this is for me, the unity and diversity comes back to this question of orthodoxy and orthopraxy. You, if you uh, actually believe, it's not by it. Uh, I was looking at the solos there. It's, it's it's by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, according to the Scriptures alone, for the glory of God alone. But not by a faith that is alone. It's got to be a faith that shows up. Yeah, I mean, for me, a lot of this really goes back Old Testament to Genesis chapter one. Oh, switch sides. Yeah, I'm, wow. I play both sides because <laughs> I'm a team player. But you know, think about the entire message of the whole Bible. And I'm going to oversimplify it to Dr. Link's dismay. <laughs> the very first statement in the entire Bible is, God is king. That's right? it. That's the whole book. And everything else is, how do we relate to him as king? Why don't we just publish no cards? There you go. Just, you know, you know the bridge, the bridge version. Yeah. yeah, God is king. But there's your new tattoo. <laughs> That's just in Greek, though. Really yeah, tricky. Yeah, yeah, Genesis <laughs> from the Septuagint. See, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll put but, that one in the middle so I can stay balanced. There you go. But you think about it. You know, what's the height of the creation story? It's not how many days, it's not how many millions or thousands of years ago, it's creation of mankind. The only thing created out of the same stuff, everything else, in the image of God. The first command in all scripture is given to that being created in the image of God. And what's the very first command? Unity. Go, be fruitful, and multiply. The creation care mandate comes next. But it's the relationship mandate comes first. And it's got to be more than just go make more of you. I mean, that's part of it. Go make more of you who make more of you. That's the discipleship mandate given to the church. But this picture is that God is in this eternal relationship within the Trinity. If we are created in his image, we're created for relationship with the Trinity. But in his absence, physically, 
We're created for relation to one another. So that's why we want tribes. I want somebody like me. Of course. Not. You know, that's why even loners don't ultimately, truly, finally want to be alone. They're reading books. They're listening to music. Mm -hmm. They're interacting with humans. Describe my life. What do I do? <laughs> Get a life. <laughs> but, you know, we're created for unity. Problem is, when you take one sinner, Genesis 3, and put him in a connection with another sinner, what do you get? Sin. Sin. Right? You can't, you know, think from a church analogy. If you're a part of a dying church and the church cross street is dying, hey, why don't we band forces, make a new tribe? When you bring two sick churches together, what do you end up with? A bigger <laughs> sick church. When you bring a, a really sinner together church. with a sinner together in marriage. Apart from sanctification, drawing closer to God, I always use the analogy of a, a triangle. I'm at one angle, my wife's at the other angle, God's at the head. The closer either one of us comes to God, mathematically, the closer we also must come to one another. Wait, have I mentioned I'm engaged yet this podcast? Because that, that no. sounds like a good time to mention it. Oh, hey, yes, not. Well, congratulations. Possible. <laughs> so get right with God, then. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, the more we become like God through Christ, right. the closer we draw to one another. And so our unity has to be based on a common understanding of who Christ is as the perfect image of the invisible God. But the unity is only going to be true unity when it's, we are united in him, and the theology has got to be part of what drives that. It's also going to be your culture. You know, you're not going to do church the way here they do in Brooklyn, right. the way you do it in Mozambique or wherever. It's going to I'm look a little different, so but our theology needs to ultimately be the same. The orthodoxy is orthodoxy. It literally means right worship, right thinking. If we get that right, your church is going to look a little different than mine because you're reading some of those secondary issues a little different than I am. But if you're the only Bible-believing church in the city, I should feel comfortable enough with the rest of your theology to be able to worship with you. The problem is too many Christians, we made tier three the issues or tier two, and they'll never darken the door of a Pentecostal church or a Presbyterian church. Now back to our idols. I've taken my sinfulness and I've made it my priority. So would oh, both of you, I'd like an answer on this one. Would, would you say there are people who are currently going to all these Pentecostal churches that are worshiping Pentecostalism instead of God? I mean, is that... So are there unsaved people in churches? Well, yeah, yes. Yeah. But do we think it's a uh, are there saved people struggling with idolatry? Yes. So the answer is it, it's actually more foundational, which is uh, every time I do right, evil is right there with me, and yeah. that there is a struggle when I show up to church as a genuine believer. Maybe you'd attach the. Uh, the category of on fire, maybe you wouldn't. I don't know. But I, even if that's true for me, I'm still going to show up with the desire every morning to worship myself rather than God. The, putting off, the, the proof that you have repented in justification is that you keep on repenting. The proof that you have put off idols is that you keep putting off. The proof that you have forgiven when there's uh, a great evil done against you is not that the emotion goes, no, it's that you keep on forgiving. Because that battle with sin is a daily constant thing that is only resolved by the grace of Christ. And he works in our lives very practically through that. But that practically uh, doesn't mean that every moment of every day that we're actually worshiping. So, I mean, by definition, yes. That's why what we do on Sunday mornings is about equipping people 
to go out and do works of ministry, but that only happens if we're allowing the Word of God and the Spirit of God to really shape uh, that gathering time. You can't send well if you don't gather well. Yeah, and you know it harkens back to think about your own church. Remind again, you know, speaking pastorally here. I know a lot of people who are Baptist for no Baptist reason. Right. <laughs> if I could show them from history what Baptists have believed and argued, they'd be surprised. Oh, I didn't know that. They're Baptist because that was the church mom went to, or they're Pentecostal because that's the church down the street, or yeah. they're going to this non-denominational church because they like the music. Uh, challenge yourselves, you know, challenge the people in your peer group. How many of them have read the Confession of Faith to the church to which they belong? Why am I a member of this tribe if I don't know what this tribe actually believes? And it's because I've put tribal identity even above tribal theology. And so there are a lot of non-Baptist Baptists. There are a lot of non-Pentecostal Pentecostals who are there for every other reason but have never read the church's confession of faith. And so they don't know if they actually have unity. So again, it's that desire. I want unity, but unity of what cost? It might be a solid Good unity. It's based on our beliefs. We have this common core together. But a lot of times it's our unity based on, oh, there's a lot of young people in this church. Or there's a lot of old people. Or they wear ties on Sunday. Or whatever the case might be. College kids. You know, (laughs) I'm convinced a lot of the diversity that we have that is in the negative sense, that can be bridged by theology, can only be bridged once we teach theology. You know, a culturally diverse church down the street who would never worship with mine or vice versa, if we're theologically orthodox, we actually have enough grounds not only to worship together, but to probably serve together in a lot of ways for the good of the kingdom. But what divides us is not our theology because we don't know it. What divides us is we worship this way, you all worship that way. We say amen, you all sit there with your hands in your laps. And all of a sudden, now our tribe has one. But it's not a theological tribe; it's a cultural tribe. Right, and so that means so that means if you're going to be committed to unity in those situations, you should come to Sunday with the expectation that it is there to make you uncomfortable. You're going to have to put certain things to death. Uh, for example, in my church is that I'm a member of is a multi-ethnic church, and so we are intentionally trying to be cross-cultural. Some days we do better than others. But in the end, there are parts of it that I don't relate to, and there's parts of it that I do. And why we do it that way is not because we're um, uh, saying that there's a set way to do it, but we recognize that we have a particular mission in a particular city to reach everyone who surrounds us with the gospel and beyond. And our way of doing that is to come together where doctrine is the thing, mission is the thing, God is is the one I almost said God is the thing, forgive me. God is the one who actually makes that possible. The Word of God and the Spirit of God are sufficient to bring real unity in the bride, um, even if it's just for a moment and just in a place. So last last thing, and hopefully this is really short because it's just, can we give anyone listening, because they've listened for an hour now, is there something really practical that they can do to help bring us to church unity? Is it something as simple as, Read the Bible or read the Confession of Faith for your church so you at least know what you say you believe. Or... Yes, yes, and I'd add prayer. Prayer? Yeah, that's I mean, right. That's good. Christ praying pray. for unity. What should we all be praying for? Mm. I mean, it's the one prayer request of Jesus. Think about it. In the Bible, that we actually have a say in whether or not it comes to fruition or not. That we have a role to play in unity. 
And so if he's praying for unity the night before he dies for this very diverse group of guys, right. a couple of whom turn out to be jerks for a while <laughs> until yeah. sanctification takes place, if he prays for unity, ought we not? Unity in our church. How do we do that? I forgive those who've sinned against me over and over right. and over. Unity with my racially different brothers down the street, in spite of what the past is. Unity. If it's important enough for Christ, it needs to be important enough for us. And so we've got to be praying for it. Mm. And then well, how do we find it? Our commit, common commitment to Scripture and the quest for what does the Bible actually teach us and live out that yeah. at all costs if need be. Right, that was good. Yeah, so in other words, it's just living out the Christian life very close. The Word of God, the Spirit of God, your spiritual disciplines are there to create unity in Him rather than unity in these other, albeit sometimes good things, albeit sometimes bad things. But real unity only occurs uh, when you're interacting with the God of creation, the God of Mount Sinai, the God who became man and dwelt among us, uh, the one who's coming. And, and so being willing to give time and give up things that are secondary to that, that's where real life in Christ can emerge. And we can see people who today would consider us enemies because of cultural features that can actually be not just brothers in category, but actual real life side-by-side -side brothers. And this is why when, when uh, uh, it's been helpful for me, the kind of churches I, I have traditionally been in because of where I've come from, um, you're going to have uh, almost everyone voting for the same political party. That's mm -hmm. not a bad thing. Yeah. I do think uh, that... Uh, uh, we have the Electoral College. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but in the end, it's amazing that if you go to a slightly different church, everybody else who's a Christian is voting for perhaps the other party. And so then if you really have Christian unity... Can it overcome political differences? Can it? Yeah. You just begin to live it out and recognize that some of the things that I think are important, they're good, but they're not as good as the most important thing. So making the main thing the main thing and putting off that idolatry through the spiritual disciplines. Uh, and also just being patient with the fact that uh, as Christ has been patient with me, I need to be patient with others. Yeah. And uh, that, I think, just building off what uh, Dr. Beck said there, I think that's really the key for me. Um, sanctification is intentionally messy and painful so that the only hero at the end of the day is, is Christ, not us. Yeah. So, everybody read your Bibles. Practice your Bibles. <laughs> read the Confession of Faith. Question it with theology. And then, um, what, was that? what was that fifth thing? Ah, I just had a fifth thing. You pray. said the thing. Yeah, pray. Oh, Man, I was like, was it was only his main point. Don't Tip worry. My tongue. You know what's actually crazy? I didn't, I hadn't mentioned it before this, and I just remembered the very first episode of this podcast, I mentioned both of you, and I just forgot about it. Really? Because I mentioned your three-tier thing oh. when I was talking to Pastor Gary. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, Dr. Beck. And I remembered, I don't know if you would remember this or not, in the book of Daniel, I don't even know what it was. Mm -hmm. There was something we read, because I had the Daniel class Was it you. Daniel 10? But no, that's, oh my that's, no. that's controversial. No, that's, uh, okay. <laughs> but we, uh, yeah, we read something, and you said, and the answer to this is, I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us that, so we probably don't need to know it. And I was like, wow, I've never thought of that. Sometimes <laughs> I can just say the Bible didn't tell me for a reason. Yeah, that's right. That's so, right. yeah, yeah. So that's just two things I got from from you guys. I think I really appreciate. The thing we wrap up with is our God moment of the week. We just like to share with everybody something that 
we've seen in God in our either, you know, devotion time or something happening mm-hmm. in life or et cetera, et cetera. I almost just want to say this podcast for mine. I'm like, wow, yeah, there's so many things. But uh, did, did you have a God moment of the week? Uh, yeah, I'm going to say this podcast is my God moment of the week. <laughs> Is that a cop out? That's, nope. That's not. <laughs> <laughs> what once, mean, once one of those said, weeks, I get. I get. Once he said it every moment because yeah, God yeah. gives me every moment. <laughs> I uh, oh man, I've had I actually had a few. You know, actually, this this is a really weird one. You I, say I, your engagement. I'm, never I'm actually going to talk about it again. Ha ha! But it's because like I really thought that I was going to get engaged, and then somehow have this big revelation from God, and then I was really disappointed when I didn't. And then oh. I realized it was really crazy. Then I had a revelation because of like we, this is on our devotion because of the life, yeah, of the because revelation. of the bathtub. Because oh. yeah. then I realized after that I was thinking about it. I was like, man, God's just in really small things sometimes. The bathtub. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We had a whole devotional about how, like. Oh, the I'll shower. explain it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The shower, the knob, but I'm really close to it. Looks like it's in the middle. I was like, oh, this will be comfortable. And then I get in it, and when I look at it straight on, it's like all the way on hot, and it burns me, and it's awful. And I did a whole devotional on that because. It made me very uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> so your God moment of the week yeah, was yeah. after you got engaged. Yeah, the shower was too hot. No, yeah, but no. After that, I realized God's just in small things sometimes. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, that'll be mine, Doctor Link. So I, I'm uh, teaching through my kids through First Corinthians right now. And your uh, kids, your students, or your kids, your kids? No, my kids, my kids. Okay. I have five children, and uh, and we are doing uh, 15, 15 and sixteen this week. Uh, and uh, uh, just we we talked about the big picture of the book about how unity is focusing on the Great Commission, Great Commandment, and the role of Chapter Fifteen. Therefore, when all is said and done, what does he start doing? He starts talking about the gospel according to the Old Testament. So uh, just to bring it full circle, that's uh, that's a, a watching uh, the light bulbs go off on my uh, on my children on some of those categories was uh, that was a, a great moment. Mm. Mine probably would also be something he would probably resonate with his graduation week. Mm, you know, on right. campus, parents are all over the place, and people that we've, you know, some of, you know, there's almost 700 graduates. Yeah. We've obviously not had all of them, but between us, we've probably had a third of them, maybe more. And just, you know, it's that bittersweet time of you're glad to see them go, some of them. But you're glad to see them graduate. You're, you know, you're excited that people who didn't think they could survive, survive. That's right. But, but we've been reminded now for the last 10 days repeatedly by student after student about impacts we've had in their lives and things very often that we don't know were the impactful. You know, we think, oh, it's that lecture or it's, very often it's the conversation in the hallway with the students, the little things that impact yeah. lives. And, you know, so it is that bittersweet. Here are these people we've come to know and love, many we've discipled, and we go, man, did I make any difference? And what you're realizing is even the little things that we don't think are important often make the big differences. And as I seminary him, I think you're all probably had a seminary him when you were there as well, mm-hmm. at your seminary. You know, well, there's a line and it says that we meet to part, right? And that we part mm-hmm. to meet. And so, for you all, because your age, four years is a quarter of your life, twenty percent. It's a right. major important. People don't realize that. And you, you know, in hindsight, <laughs> at my age, four years is not that important. You know, I'm getting ready to celebrate my thirty fifth anniversary. Four is all said now. Are you know, small things. Congratulations. Thank you, but. You know, when I see these students leaving, you know, it hurts. You know, right? we love these kids and we hate to see them go. We can't wait to see what God does with them. In the back of our mind, though, there's always that blessed hope the New Testament talks about that at the coming, we'll be united with Christ, unity, and be reunited with those whom we've invested our lives in. 
And so every moment matters. Nice. That's right. Much better God moments than mine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There's a good one. No, not you didn't elaborate. Thanks again for listening. Uh, please follow us on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, support us on Patreon. Yeah, again, we have that free giveaway. First 21 people, if they're before the 21st, get a chance to win a free Kindle Fire 7 with Letters of the Church by Francis Chan on there. And uh, you get to choose your color of that Kindle Fire 7. So. And also, please leave a comment on iTunes or Google Play that helps other people see the podcast, which allows us to get the word out, which, of course, is key to church unity. Know the church wants to be united, more likely we're going to be united. Right. And uh, please, if you have a God moment of the week, email us. Our, yeah. our Gmail is theholdchurch at gmail.com. Right. Not to be accused with the whole church podcast for some reason. We just want to be the whole church. We're, we're Jesus. Yeah. Um, what are some future guests we have? Future guests? Dr. Um, Keith Sharp. Keith Sharp. I'm really excited about that still. Um, a bunch of other smart people. Yeah. Pastor Tom Harkis. The founder of Crossway Churches, as well as a few professors from GU, uh, Tim Coulter, and then we have the leader of the Women's Ministries at Anderson coming up as well. Right. Tim, Tim Coulter, you mentioned yeah. that that's the general Presbyterian Church of God of Prophecy in the United States of America. Wow, that's enough. It is. It's it's and of course, uh, Francis Chan, yeah. at the end of this season, he, he just, will be. Uh, doesn't know.